you're about to listen to the IC News Podcast. We hope you enjoy it. We'd like more people to hear the show, so if you do, please help us make that happen by leaving us a review on whichever platform you're listening on. It only takes a second, but it lets the gremlins that control the internet know that the show is worth pushing to a wider audience. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button. That way, you'll get a new episode of the show each and every Saturday. Now it's time to sit back and enjoy. Get yourself a hot cup of cocoa. Put your feet up on a comfy stool. Let your worries melt away and let us take you to the weirdest places satire has to offer. You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. Coronavirus continues to ravage both the populace and global stock markets, with share indexes plummeting around the globe. In response, President Trump has banned Europeans, because this is the moronic world we voted for, and it's all that we deserve. Rishi Sunak has shocked the Scooby gang by pulling the rubber mask off his budget, only to reveal it was Jeremy Corbyn all along, and he would have got away with it too if it wasn't for those meddling people of Jewish heritage. Joe Biden surges past Bernie Sanders to become the frontrunner in the Democratic race, leaving Americans to choose which tint of angry old white man they want invading their personal space from November onwards. In an attempt to prevent the spread of coronavirus, the Pope has gone digital, delivering prayers by video stream. The Catholic Church has vowed to follow his example by switching to diddling kids over Skype. And finally, Genesis are to reform and tour, because a massive viral outbreak just isn't 80s enough without Phil Collins crooning over the top of it. Hello and welcome, and by welcome I mean stay ten feet back and don't cough anywhere fucking near me. You're joining us for IC News episode 11. We're locking ourselves down in our secure bunker, lathering ourselves in Dettol, and avoiding human contact at all costs. You might have noticed that in the last two weeks the world has gone positively insane. Coronavirus has now been officially declared a global pandemic, with governments across the world scrambling to take drastic measures to contain it. Italy is in lockdown, Ireland has closed schools and colleges, and over in the States, the Trump administration has cleverly sidestepped diagnosing thousands of cases by just not testing anybody. Here in the UK, the government is recommending caution, avoiding closures and settling for the softly, softly, catchy, diseasy approach. It's all very scary stuff, but global panic doesn't mean normal service can't be continued here at the network. At IC News, we've got a commitment to responsible journalism, which is why we've still been sending our potentially infected reporters through the dimensional gate to the parallel worlds that exist alongside our own, spreading the hot love of contagion with our inquisitive little fingers. There was only one topic on the soiled door handle of news, and because we didn't wash our hands before we touched our face, it's now on all our lips. We now go to Alison June Smith for some helpful advice on how to conduct yourself during an unprecedented pandemic. For the soap. Uh, soap. Come on. Uh, and you've got to, you know the national anthem. You've got, you you got, um, you got, you got to do two verses. Two verses. Yeah, yeah, I, I happy think birthday, 20 seconds you, will be sufficient. Happy birthday to um, you. Happy birthday, dear Melodic. Thank you very much. Happy birthday to you. You've got to get a little wristy bit. Happy birthday to you. Right, there we go. Okay. Thanks, Sam. Welcome to the big story that surprises absolutely nobody. 
We've gone viral, baby, and it's all anyone can talk about. Coronavirus is currently spreading around the world faster than I would for Tom Hardy. Every asshole you've ever met now has an opinion about it on the internet. That guy you went to school with who shat himself in Ari suddenly has a PhD in viral epidemiology. And Mark from the pub thinks it'll just blow over. Nothing to see here, people. Mark works in IT and has been divorced three times. That makes him an expert. So let's all just carry on spitting into each other's mouths. You're going to read and hear an awful lot of media coverage over the next few weeks, repeating over and over that mass panic will help nobody. That's absolutely true. And the hysteria is dangerous. It places unnecessary strain on our supply chains and health service, both of which are already heaving under pressure. We desperately need to get a couple of toots of ketamine up Britain's asshole before he hurts himself. However, we also need to remember that the advice coming from the experts exists for a reason, and the scary and drastic measures governments are enacting the world over are not just for show. Coronavirus is not the deadliest disease humanity has ever faced. That's true. It's also true that a vast majority of people who are exposed to it will recover quickly. If you're relatively young and healthy, chances are you'll be absolutely fine. But that doesn't mean any of us can afford to be complacent. It's only really dangerous for the elderly is a pretty awful sentiment. And it shows a worrying lack of empathy. I don't know who sent it, and I don't know when, but I must have missed the memo telling us that the old are now officially expendable. I know we're all mad about Brexit, but that doesn't mean we should stop washing our hands until everyone who voted for it is dead. The crisis is far from over. The virus itself is not our only cause of concern. Markets are already feeling the economic shock. On an individual level, the gig economy and zero-hours contracts offer less protection than the condom made out of one of your nan's doilies. Our system is not set up to make it easy for anyone to afford self-isolation for two weeks at the best of times. That financial desperation means people are going to be forced to take risks by going to work when they might be infected. That goes double for poorer countries and rich ones like the states with dog shit sick pay and healthcare systems. Mike Pence seems to think he can take communion and pray all this away. I got news for you, bud. It was consuming each other's bodily fluids that got us into this mess in the first place. We've got to toe a line, people. Panic is fucking stupid and helps no one, but we also have to think about those of us the disease poses a bigger threat to. Follow the official advice, take sensible precautions, and wash your goddamn hands. Stop for a second and think before you share that meme on Facebook. Just because you're going to be fine doesn't mean you should be adding to the spread of disinformation, implying that the experts don't know what they're talking about. Maybe. Just maybe it isn't you they're worried about. The fatality rate for COVID-19 is just one statistic, and it's an average of 3.4%. That's scary enough, but it doesn't relate in strong enough terms just how hard it hits the vulnerable groups. 
the elderly, the disabled, those of us with underlying conditions or pre-existing lung problems are facing a fatality rate of up to 15%. As yet, there is no vaccination to prevent this spreading as far as it can go without drastic physical measures being taken to stop it. Is that inconvenient for those of us who will probably just shrug it off? You bet your ass it is. But since when did we stop giving a shit about all the people who just can't shrug it off? I'm Allison June Smith. Not panicking. Not being a know-it-all douchebag either. Washing her fucking hands and reporting for IC News. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, you selfish asshole. Happy birthday to you. As concerns about the pandemic continue to mount, whether they're over the immediate medical crisis or the long-term damage to the economy, Brits everywhere have been digging deep into their reserves of Blitz spirit. As a country, we've come together as a community to well and truly fuck each other over like a pack of starving dogs fighting over a femur. With tensions in supermarkets across the country running high, we sent our demonic correspondent Red Redmond over the top into the crossfire. Thanks, Sam. I'm here in a major wholesaler's. I can't say which one, but let's just say for the sake of argument that it definitely isn't Costco. There's not a coronavirus patient in sight, but the fever of blind hysteria is absolutely spiking, with the shelves emptied of essentials like toilet paper and tinned goods. There's more middle-aged panic going on here than in your dad's head when he forgets to delete his browser history on the house computer. The atmosphere is anxious, with hostility thick in the air as panic Brits display that keep calm and carry on spirit they're famous for by threatening to punch each other over the hand sanitizer. I'd normally be worried about my personal safety in this environment. Thankfully, due to my work reporting for the network, I've recently become host to a parasitical demon named Alan. He's feeding off the psychic energy here like a wasp at a picnic, and as a result, I'm feeling positively virile. Red's right. This place is an absolute buffet of terror and neuroses. It reminds me of my youth in my own dimension, and my first temping job shredding human souls in the Hall of Agonies. Ooh, look! Giant muffins! It's been two weeks of mounting public anxiety over the security of Britain's supply chain in the face of a potential pandemic, and it's not been helped one jot by the platitudes of the health secretary. Last week, Matt Hancock nearly fibbed his baby grow clean off by exaggerating the government's level of contact with the supermarket industry. His statement was quickly called out by executives for the nervous, floundering, on-the-spot lie it clearly was. It also doesn't help that the people telling us not to panic are men like him and Rishi Sunak. Men with eyes so terrified, every time they appear on camera, they look like they're expecting their own murder. Seriously, I've checked. There's not a single photo of Sunak that doesn't look like he can't see his own impending death reflected in the camera lens. Excuse me, can I just get to the... uh... Touch me again, human, and I shall pull your head from your body and violate you with your own spine. Jesus, this is the biggest tub of terror masalata I've ever seen. 
This place is amazing. Why don't we shop here more often? Not now, Alan. I'm just saying, we'd save loads of money if we got the staples here. Look at the number of danishes you'd get on a tray like that. It's fucking mental. Can you concentrate for a minute? We're supposed to be conveying the message that this sort of blind panic is counterproductive. How are we supposed to do that when you're fawning over pastries? But they look so nice. Oh, and I suppose you'd eat all of those in the three days you've got before they go off, would you? It's a waste of bloody money, Alan. Will you stop? I'm trying to work here. Well, sorry, Mr. Let's grab some pasta and tin tomatoes just in case. We can't all be as perfect as you. Not panicking and picking up five lots of Tresemme and Asda, like you definitely always do every week, you fucking hypocrite. That's different, alright? That's just being careful. It's nothing like all this bollocks. You keep telling yourself that, doomsday preppers. You know what? I'm getting pretty fed up of you talking to me like this in public. Yeah, well I'm getting pretty fed up of only ever doing what you want to do. Don't interrupt me when I'm working, Alan. Put down the danishes, Alan. Don't pull the postman's intestines out through his arsehole, Alan. You know your problem? You're selfish. And my needs are never even factored into this relationship. Please, excuse me. I really need to get to the toilet roll. Right. That is it. You want excusing, you fucking meatbag. I'll excuse your innards from your pathetic skin. I only wanted a big... Oh, Jesus. Look at how many batteries you can get in a multi-pack. I'm really starting to get sick of every shopping trip we go on ending up like this. I haven't been able to show my face in Aldi for weeks. Sam, we better leave it there. To summarise, stop panic buying, you idiots. Especially if you're the sort of knobhead that does their weekly shop with a cardo already. There are people who need to get the bus who might actually need some of this shit. We, we are, are Red Redmond. Covered in blood, in the pastry section. Reporting for Icy News. Clean up on aisle four, please. Better get the big mop, Jeff. It's happened again. Of course, it's not just individual shoppers who are desperately spending big in an attempt to protect themselves from the worst of the coronavirus hit. With global markets taking the sort of battering normally reserved for the women in Chris Brown's life, open brackets, seriously, stop listening to his music, close brackets, the Chancellor here on Earth Prime this week unveiled a budget aimed at ameliorating the potentially catastrophic financial damage. It was big news, so we sent Tom King to an Earth where Budget Day is given much more national prominence than here on Earth Prime. Wages up. National insurance cut. The tampon tax abolished. We promised to cut taxes and the cost of living, and we got it done. Yeah! Budget Day! Oh, it's one of the biggest events in the political calendar's year. A magical time when the Chancellor steps up to the plate and sets out the government's spending plans for the future. Oh, we've had all kinds of presents over the last ten years, like the bedroom tax and universal credit. It's been like an annual reverse Christmas, with the poor families all gathering as an evil old bastard comes down the chimney to steal their kids' presents and hopes for the future. 
Not this time though. This budget day was an extra special one for everyone involved and this time around it was Rishi Sunak's turn to deliver it. He's looked more than a little bit lost since he got one of the biggest jobs in British politics by default. The nervous office temp magically became the CEO overnight, even though all he's ever really done is make tea and flinch whenever a door bangs. Budget day was Sunak's first lunchtime at big boy school, and he spent hours polishing up his favourite red lunchbox and filling it up with treats. There were baby bells and froobs for everyone who isn't a climate activist, with the Chancellor promising a spending spree the likes of which Britain hasn't seen for decades. The magic money tree the Tories were all scoffing at six months ago has become a redwood orchard as a response in part to the pandemic that threatens to feed the global economy's bollocks through a mincer. It looks like Sajid Javid's fiscal caution got thrown out of the window after him. In replacement, we've got the Sunak splurge heading our way, a veritable tidal wave of thick, salty spending that's going to glue voters' eyes shut so tight that they can't scrutinise the details without feeling ungrateful. It's the Johnson administration's attempt to make good on their electoral promise to spend big on infrastructure and level up the country. For some reason, we're all supposed to applaud, even though it's basically an admission that ten years of austerity have left us in a terrible hole that we now have to clamber out of. It's money to finally wash the trousers we've been shitting in for a decade, when we could have just switched to a slightly cheaper toilet that didn't murder the poor in the first place. Uh, say what you like about this new breed of Conservative, there's no denying that this spending strategy is bold. It puts clear blue water between Johnson and the ghosts of the Tory leader's past. They've even dropped the corporation tax cut that was promised, presumably because even Johnson has now finally realised what a ludicrous piss-take it would have been in a time of crisis. Uh, this budget is not immune from criticism, however. There was barely any mention of meaningful investment to tackle the climate emergency, presumably because the Tories are now planning to run dynamos off all the spinning heads on Labour's front bench. And let's not forget that we've heard big promises from the Tories before, like the one on social housing that never actually materialised. How much of this spending is actually going to take place? How much of it is likely to have a meaningful impact? And how much of it can we expect to end up spaffed up the twin walls of mismanagement and cronyism? I'm here on Earth Sierra Romeo Bread Circus 5, a world in which many of Britain's traditional holidays have long since been lost to austerity. Here, Budget Day itself is the country's only celebration, with the workforce allowed a whole day off to sit down and celebrate its unveiling as a family with a special bowl of gruel. It's exciting, isn't it, little Timmy? <coughs> I lost my sense of excitement in a mining accident. Aww, the traditions here are adorable. Every year, little Timmy and his family gather round a burning barrel and give each other big red suitcases. What's in yours this year, Timmy? It's half a pigeon and a picture of a garden bridge. Can we go there? No, Timmy. No, you can't. Now shut up and eat your pigeon. I'm Tom King. Thoroughly enjoying the end of austerity. Reporting for IC News. Wages cut. Our NHS abolished. Frozen. Coronavirus. Tampons up. Vulnerable people. I will go further if necessary. Yeah!
It now seems completely inevitable that the coronavirus pandemic is going to shape the world's political and economic future in the weeks and months to come. There's one demographic, however, that COVID-19 has thus far been relatively kind to. If you're between the ages of obnoxious YouTubing and knowing more than one less than Jake song, chances are that your generation is going to survive this crisis relatively unscathed. Coronavirus is basically boomer remover at this point, meaning that the world's political future may be handed to the young sooner than expected. With socialist and progressive politics currently the darlings of the youth movement, what does this mean for the future of the world, and how are the young shaping the current race for the White House over in the States? We sent our latest Rob Mulholland to find out. Young people. You might have heard of them. You might even have some in your house. They infest everywhere they go, they're loud, they've got opinions now, and they're here to shake things up. Moving forwards, the world is simply going to have to address their concerns because they're the future of politics. Outdated conservative ideas about the climate, social justice and the role of the state are heading for the dustbin of history and it's all down to the kids, with their apps and their heelys and their complete inability to afford property or healthcare or education. I'm Rob Eleven, and I'm reporting today on the kids that will shape tomorrow. If you've been following the Democratic primaries, you will have heard the bombastic rhetoric about the energy and passion of Bernie Sanders' youthful base. Over in Britain, Jeremy Corbyn's electoral hopes were similarly hitched to the bandwagon of belief in an energetic and enthusiastic young voting bloc. Now, I don't know if you'd noticed, but that didn't quite pan out the way Labour had hoped. In the States, Super Tuesday has come and gone and the Sanders campaign has been left facing a similar reality. The expected youth quake turned out to be nothing but a vague rumble. Joe Biden's campaign has now been force-fed enough Viagra to punch its dick through a phone book. This is my wife, this is my sister. They switched on me. The former VP many had written off completely is now collecting endorsements and has surged past Sanders to become the Democratic frontrunner. Try as they might, progressive politicians like Bernie simply can't convert their vocal online support amongst the young into actual votes. The dankest memes and most plentiful updoots just don't win primaries, let alone actual national elections. I'm here on Earth X-Ray Alpha Insta Reddit 7, a world where traditional forms of democracy have been abandoned and social media rules supreme. Political careers here have shorter lifespans than mayflies in a blender, for the simple reason that the young are now fully engaged in the political process. Social justice rules supreme, and if you can't work Snapchat, congratulations, consider your vote suppressed, grandad. Politicians here aren't elected at the polling station, they're selected from the most popular hashtags, plucked from obscurity by retweet and upvote. I'll show you how it works. I've linked my social media accounts and now it's time to tweet. I believe healthcare is a universal human right. Hashtag hands off women's bodies. Hashtag Green New Deal. Hashtag Ariana is fierce. There we go. Hear all that approval roaring in? That's what I'm talking about. And now I'm governor of Massachusetts. Well, that was easy. 
Hang on. What's th what's this now? Oh shit. Oh shit. No, 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 oh no. I didn't realise they'd be able to read my old tweets from Earth Prime. Now I'm a public figure, everyone's trawling through my timeline. Oh god, what did- what did I say? Oh, what have I done? Oh fuck no, I'm in negative karma. Uh, here that can only mean one thing. I'm about to get cancelled. Rob Mulholland, you stand accused of fat shaming. The charge relates to tweets sent in 2012 about Adele. I only said she was massive. I did, she just won six Grammys. I didn't mean it like, you know, that. You have been judged guilty by reason of mass downvote. Your justification is irrelevant. I hope you can learn from this and grow as a person. Have a nice day. It doesn't matter what I feed those things, I just can't keep them alive. No matter, we'll be back next week with a new Rob Mulholland. His death brings us to the end of our broadcast. Time now to wash our hands, gargle with Purell, and zip ourselves up in the containment pod for another week. We'll see you on the other side, but for now, it's time for the stories you may have missed. Film producer Harvey Weinstein is jailed for 23 years for rape, in a verdict that is the biggest surprise hit among female audiences since Magic Mike. A man is charged with smuggling £53 million worth of eels through UK customs, which by any estimate is an impressive amount to shove up your ass. Amber Rudd is no platformed by an Oxford University society just half an hour before she is due to speak. In a statement to the press, the former Home Secretary says she hasn't been told to shut her mouth this rudely since leaving Boris Johnson's cabinet. And finally, Bill Clinton has stated in an interview that his affair with Monica Lewinsky was a way of managing his anxieties. So presumably he's been shagging secretaries every day since Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you and goodbye. You've just been listening to the IC News Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please take a second to leave us a rating and a review on whichever platform you're listening on. You'd really be helping us out. Don't forget to also hit the subscribe button, as that way you'll get a new episode each and every Saturday. IC News only exists thanks to the support of the fans of ICU who support us through Patreon. If you'd like to get early access to the bonus cuts of this show, as well as all other ICU content, you can do so by signing up for as little as £1 a month at patreon.com slash ICU stories. Check out the podcast description for the link. Each episode of IC News is written and produced by Sam Gore. This week's episode featured Allison June Smith, Red Redmond, Tom King, and Rob Mulholland. If this is the extended cut, you also heard a bonus sketch featuring Danny Sutcliffe. The main theme for the show is by Eddie French and the graphic design is from chumchi.com.